And King Melchizedek of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him one-tenth of everything. In the fourteenth chapter of the book of Genesis, a strange episode interrupts the slowly developing story of the patriarch Abraham. Abraham's story is basically the story of a wandering nomad looking for a place to settle down and raise a family. It is about his struggles to find that place, to create that family, and above all, his relationship with the God, Yahweh, who has chosen Abraham as his special favorite. But Genesis 14 seems to see Abraham, who is still going by the name of Abram at this point, in a very different light. In this chapter, he is a military commander, leading troops to victory, and he deals with kings and princes as equals. The entire episode is very strange, and no part of it is stranger than Abram's encounter with the king of a city called Salem, who is also the priest of a god called El Elyon. Who is this Melchizedek, who greets and blesses and feeds the patriarch, and then disappears entirely from the biblical account? Why does Genesis even mention him? There's got to be a story there someplace. This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 3.15 Melchi Zadok, King of Jerusalem Azariah adored his grandfather, Zadok. He was the grandest, wisest, and most impressive figure he had ever seen. And that even included the king, Solomon, who was so celebrated by everyone else. Zadok was the high priest who served in the great temple that Solomon had built. But he was an old man now and many of his duties had been passed on to his son, Azariah's father. So Zadok had time to spend with the little boy. He had lived through so much change, and he had the most incredible stories. At the end of the day, Azariah would climb into the old man's lap and snuggle close and beg him another story of the old days. Tell me, grandfather, he would say. Tell me the story again of the time when David first came to Jerusalem and what it was like. And Zadok would chuckle and demure for a while. In the end, however, he would always give in and the story would come out. When David first came to the gates of my city, he would say, the people didn't think we needed to take him very seriously. 
He was uncouth and uncivilized, more of a bandit than a ruler at the time. He had managed to put together an impressive fighting force around him, but we never expected that he could take the city. Nobody ever had. As you know, my dear boy, my ancestors and yours have ruled over this city upon this mountain and over the people of the Jebusites since the time of our great founding father, King Melchizedek. We prospered and remained secure for three reasons. We had the favor of El Elyon, the great high god, who had made his abode among us at the most holy place, the great flat rock where earth and heaven come together, and which now lies at the heart of the temple that Solomon is building. Secondly, our fortifications on top of this mountain of Zion secured us from all who would attack us. And finally, our city was nourished by the streams of Gihon that flow from near the sacred spot so that no one can cut us off from our water source. So secure was our city that it was said that even if only the blind and the lame stood on its walls to defend it, they would defeat all who dared to attack it. But grandfather, the child interrupted, how is it then that the city fell into the hands of a crude tribesman like David? Because it was the will of El Elyon, snapped his grandfather. And so it had been ordained even from the time of Melchizedek. I will tell you the story. Many, many years ago, before this city was called Jerusalem, and it was known only as Salem, the great king, Melchizedek, ruled here over his people and brought the great peace of Salem that was a blessing to all the people. From the height and security of his city, he looked down upon the primitive people who passed through the valleys below. And one day, as Melchizedek looked down, a strange procession of people passed by the city through the valley to the east. There were about 500 of them, and they were arrayed for war. The king's people informed him that the group was led by a man named Abram, a nomadic tribesman who was a favorite of a god named Yahweh. Melchizedek watched them pass by and then forgot about them. They were so poorly organized and their weapons were so crude that he rather expected that they would be defeated in whatever war they were going to fight. He never thought that he would see them again. When, a week or so later, he saw the same company moving back towards the north and saw that they were clearly triumphant and carried much booty with them. He consulted with El Elyon, 
who told him that he must descend to the camp of the tribesmen and grant him a blessing. And so it was that the ancestors of the two great peoples, the Jebusites and the people of Israel, met together in the valley below Salem. As he had been instructed, Melchizedek gave the blessing of El Elyon to Abram. Blessed be Abram by El Elyon, maker of heaven and earth, and blessed be El Elyon, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram, the servant of the god Yahweh, bowed his head and received the blessing of El Elyon. He even recognized the importance and the holiness of Salem's priest and king by giving to him one-tenth of all the booty that he had won in his battle. And based on the events of that day, it was remembered and passed down among the rulers of Salem, now called Jerusalem, that someday the descendants of Abram would come to this place, and that it was the will of El Elyon that the worship of Yahweh and El Elyon would be joined together as one upon this holy mountain at the great place of the rock. And so it was, the high priest Zadok continued to explain to his grandson, that when David and his army appeared outside of Jerusalem, I went swiftly and consulted with El Elyon at the holy place. When I tossed the Urim and the Thummim, I knew that the time predicted by Melchizedek, my ancestor, had finally come and the city would soon belong to David. My commanders foolishly ignored the words of the God, and they disagreed. They had the ancient proverb proclaimed in the city, and even shouted from the walls to the tribesmen below, that even if it was only the blind and the lame who defended the walls, they would repel all invaders. I kept silence, however knowing that the will of El Elyon would soon be revealed. And I will give this to David. He was bold and creative. He found the one weak spot in the city's defenses. He sent his men to climb the shaft that leads to the sacred spring of Gihon. It seemed impossible, but they had done it. And once the men were inside the walls, the city was as good as David's. I am no fool. Zadok declared with some pride. When the triumphant David entered the gates of the city, I was the first to bow down and honor him. 
as I laid my sacred crown at his feet. I told him the story of his distant ancestor Abram, and declared to him that it was indeed the will of El Elyon that he and his descendants would rule in this city forever. I took him on a tour of our sacred precincts and showed him the holy rock where heaven and earth come together. My palace, which stood nearby, I said, was his, though he later replaced it with a much more magnificent cedar house. David brought the priest of his god, Yahweh, with him, a man named Abiathar. I explained to him that there were certain rites and rituals that are required by El Elyon, the god of this place, and warned him that these traditions must be respected for the sake of the safety of David's kingdom. He agreed, and for many years the two of us worked together as brothers to establish the proper worship of Yahweh and El Elyon as one. And so, as you know, most of the high rituals and liturgies and prayers that are now a feature of worship of Solomon's temple are the same as what our people have carried out for generations. And so it is that El Elyon is pacified and does not complain that most of the people who worship in this place address him by the name of Yahweh. When David had been settled in this city for some time, he finally brought the greatest heirloom of his people to dwell here in a tent. It was on this day that I finally began to understand the nature of this Yahweh who had chosen David as his favorite. The heirloom was a box made of precious metal. The God, Yahweh, I was told, made his abode among the people upon the seat that was atop that box. I understood then that these people in their origins had been a nomadic people, and so had naturally found a God who was not inclined to stay in one place, as is El Elyon. I and the Jebusite nobility felt a little bit bad for David and his people that they had been stuck with such a transient God. But David had absolutely no self-consciousness as he danced in ecstasy before the arrival of his God to his city. So we smiled and applauded his antics, but we quietly vowed, that we would bring some civilization and decorum to these people, a project in which we have largely succeeded. Today that gilded box, the dwelling place of Yahweh, sits at the heart of Solomon's renovated temple. We have tamed their wild god, and he will wander no more. Here he will remain, and in time you will see. 
we will make this sanctuary the most important one in all the land. People will come here from all over to worship and to fill the temple treasury with gold and silver. David may have conquered my city, but who, in the end, who can truly claim the victory? Azariah, my dear boy, it is true that your people and mine once ruled this city. We were both kings and priests after the ancient order of Melchizedek. But things change. Nevertheless, I promise you this. The family of David may think that they are now the heirs of old Melchizedek, and it is true that they will rule in this city, and that El Elyon will favor them for their devotion in this place. But you and your descendants will rule as priests, and as the true but secret heirs of Melchizedek. David's other priest, the priest of Yahweh, Abiathar, I eventually got rid of him by persuading him not to support Solomon as the heir. So our family has won out. We will be the sole high priests in this city and the rule of priests will last even when the line of kings has failed. That is the story of our people and I charge you to pass it down to your descendants throughout all time. This episode of Retelling the Bible I will confess, is a bit speculative. Personally, I enjoy speculation and find it a very interesting way to explore even a sacred text. But that hardly means that anyone needs to follow along with me and buy into what I'm saying. I mostly hope that you can enjoy the story. Despite the fact that there is such a connection between the names of David's priest, Zadok, and the somewhat mythical ancient king of Salem named Melchizedek, there is nothing in the biblical text that explicitly connects the two. On the contrary, there is a genealogy in the book of Chronicles that traces Zadok's lineage back to Aaron, Moses' priest. But you do need to understand that in the ancient world, genealogies were not just about tracing who was the ancestor of whom. Genealogies were all about explaining to people why somebody was important or why they could do an important task. Genealogies 
were not just about literal truth. Nevertheless, it could well be that Zadok, the founder of the priestly dynasty in Jerusalem, was just another descendant of the Aaronic line. But the biblical story of the priesthood in Jerusalem does fail to explain a few things. It fails to explain why Zadok suddenly appears as an important priest shortly after David took control of the city of Jerusalem and made it his capital. It fails to explain, after David took the city, what happened to an existing population of Jebusites who had clearly already established a city on that site, which would have had its own rituals and religious practices. There is no account of a genocide, an activity, honestly, that is elsewhere celebrated in the Bible, and the transition seems to have been fairly peaceable. So what happened to the Jebusites? Most of all, the Bible has left us with a very puzzling story in the book of Genesis of an encounter between the patriarch Abram and Melchizedek, priest and king of Salem. In this story, Melchizedek blesses Abram in the name of a god called El Elyon, usually translated as God Most High. This is often taken as just another name for the God of Israel, but it is at least curious that the name is only used in the Melchizedek story and in a few psalms that were part of the liturgy of the temple in Jerusalem. Is this story an indication that a certain syncretism took place between the worship of Yahweh and the worship of another god named El Elyon? Such a thing would hardly be unusual in that place and time, even if later scripture writers would have felt very uncomfortable with such an idea. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible and for this third season of the podcast. Next month I will be reposting a few of the episodes of the first season with show notes in honor of the coming Christmas season. And then tune in at the end of January for a blockbuster first episode of the fourth season. It will be something very special. Please tell other people about this podcast and rate and review this episode on iTunes or some other platform to help other people find it. The theme music for the podcast is Ada, and the mood music for this episode is Perspectives. The music is by Kevin McLeod and is licensed under the Creative Commons, and you will find links to it in the show notes. Send your requests, comments, and questions to Retelling the Retelling Bible on Twitter or to our Facebook page, Retelling the Bible. Show notes and commentary for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless.